0: Everyone, everywhere is accountable. Now, that's what God says as we continue to explore Zechariah, Chapter 5. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. As you hear every day, we're going through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, and today we continue in Zechariah chapter 5. We're going to talk about that in about two minutes, so stay there. All right, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey?
1: All right, well, I'm taking my cues from Zechariah chapter 6. The prophet sees a vision of chariots. So what did chariots look like in ancient Israel? We're going to find out. Ryan? Ryan?
2: Well, I called my segment today Lord of Saboth." It's one of the many titles of God in the Bible, but the question is, what does it mean?
0: What does it mean? Very good. All right. And today we have another question.
3: We do. It's our Friday wrap-up question, and it's going to come anywhere from Micah chapter 5 through to Zechariah chapter 8. Hope you're ready. Zechariah 5, 1-11 through 11. Then I turned and raised my eyes, and saw there a flying scroll. And he said to me, What do you see? So I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is twenty cubits, and its width ten cubits. Then he said to me, This is the curse of that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled, according to this side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled, according to that side of it. I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of this house and consume it, with its timber and stones. Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, Lift your eyes now, and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, What is it? And he said, It is a basket that is going forth. He also said, This is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. So I said to the angel who talked with me, Where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, To build a house for it in the land of Shinar. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base." Zechariah chapter 5, verses 1 through 11.
0: Zechariah chapter 5, that's what we study today. You know, wickedness generally refers to being evil or morally depraved. But more specifically, among the philosophers and the theologians, wickedness is a deeply profound evil committed, consciously and voluntarily act. When Bible translators use this term to describe what is happening in Zechariah chapter five, they were defining the Hebrew term Rishal, meaning evil or guilt, something you cannot get rid of or cast off. Now, this evil guilt is confined and sent to a place called the land of Shinar, or the land of, wait for it, Babylonia. Now, this is a brief description of the end of the age when things get so bad that no one can doubt there is a spiritual battle taking place. In the Bible, the land of Babylonia is, of course, commonly referred to as the land of rebellion against God. The Lord is communicating something very important for us to hear. Through uh, through Zechariah, He speaks and tells all who read it that there is a land of rebellion against the principles of God in the end times. Now, did you hear that? Remember that this is important because Zechariah is talking about the future. In fact, some would suggest he's talking about today. I find that fascinating. And take your Bible guide and turn to this because it's very interesting And as we do that, remember that wickedness is what we're talking about. But if you don't have a Bible guide, you can write for yours or call for yours or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the Bible guide page. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for donating. And then it'll take you to the Bible guide exactly how we printed it. Now, Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. You know, that's important. The power of your Holy Spirit, God, not my spirit. My spirit is not holy, but your spirit is holy. And the power of your Holy Spirit flood me and help me to see what you've said. Help me to hear it, Lord, and help me to change in reaction to it. In the name of Jesus Christ, and this is what we all said together, amen. Or may it be so, Lord. All right, let's go to the first chapter. I love this chapter. Zechariah 5.1. Then I turned and I raised my eyes and I saw there a flying scroll. What? It's a vision we're looking at. A flying scroll. A flying scroll with words on it. And he said to me, verse 2, what do you see? So I answered, I said, "I, I, I see a flying scroll. Its length is about 20 cubits and its width is about 10. And then he said to me, this is the curse That goes out over the face of the whole earth. The face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to his this side of the scroll. And every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. I will send out the curse says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief. And the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. Did you get that? Who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timber and its stones. I'm telling you, this is incredible. Everyone is held accountable to what the scroll says and its consequences. Nothing goes unanswered. God makes sure of that. Keep this in mind everybody's accountable. My account is with Jesus Christ. I've given him the Lord of my life. And I'm working on that. Help me, Lord. I, I don't always do what's right, but help me, Lord. I'm trying to find you. I'm trying to seek you. But if you resist God, if you reject God, you're going to be accountable for everything you do that is wrong. I don't know that I want to be accountable. I'll tell you that much. Zechariah chapter five, verse five. Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, lift up your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, what is it? And he said, it is a basket that is going forth. And he also said, this is their resemblance through the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up. And this is a woman sitting inside the basket. And then he said to me, this is wickedness. This is wickedness. And thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. I tell you, this is important. God tells us that evil is seen and evil is known. But when we put God's word in our hearts, we are reset. Our lives are reset to know the difference Between good and evil. We can't know the difference. Between good and evil. Unless we have something. The Holy Spirit. The words. The Holy Spirit uses his words in our heart. And shows us the difference. Between good and evil beloved. That's that's how God works. So. When we understand that. When we get that. when When we decide to. Literally devour God's word. To take God's word and put it in our hearts. God has something to work with. The Holy Spirit has something to work with. Beloved, that is so important today. You've got to pay attention to that because that's what God is saying. But there's something else. Let's go back to the scripture and find it. Zechariah 5, 9 through 11. And then I raised my eyes and looked and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings. For they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between the earth and between heaven. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? Now listen carefully. And he said to me to build a house for it in the land of Shinar. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base, the land of Shinar. God says that he will set up evil for the end times. God is coming soon. We should pray for the lost to come to Christ. There may be people who are watching this program right now in Atlanta, in California, in Texas, in Ohio. There may be people in New York, Toronto, maybe people in Swift Current, maybe people in Sudbury, Kamloops, Vancouver, Winnipeg wherever you're at, and you may need the Lord. If you wanna give your life to Jesus Christ, do it now. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name, you would hear us. Pray and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Take my sin. I can't pay for it. Take it because you died on the cross and you rose again. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, be the Lord, the Lord, the ruler of my life. And everybody said together, all the Christians said, all the people who came to Christ just now said together. Amen. Or a name that means a word that means make it so. Amen, Lord. Make it so in Jesus name. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life, but he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent.
1: So Zachariah chapter six gives what would have been a very terrifying vision he sees four chariots uh, approaching and, and going out from the presence of God. And when he asks what they are, the angel lets him know these are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. And he goes on to explain what each one means and does. Now, this was meant to be terrifying, this was meant to be scary. Uh, Chariot and chariot forces were a huge technological advancement, a huge um, tool of warfare in ancient Israel and the nations around. Nations fell or stayed strong based on their chariot forces a lot of the time. So let's take a look at horses and chariots in the ancient world. Beginning in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, horses are mentioned frequently in the context of war. At first, horses and chariots are the terrifying tools of the enemies of Israel. Pharaoh's chariots and the deadly iron chariotry of the Philistines, for example. In those early days of Israel as a nation, they themselves did not possess a chariotry. But as the time of the kings of Israel unfolded, horsemanship and chariot warfare became a primary goal. By the third king, Solomon, we see Israel buying horses in bulk, building chariot cities, and organizing a centralized feeding system for the nation's horses. A few generations later, during the reign of King Ahab, two enemy nations would record on documents that still survive Ahab and Israel's unusually powerful chariot force. The Tel Dan Stella says that Ahab brought 2,000 chariots to battle, which would represent anywhere from four to 6,000 chariot horses. This seems to confirm an Assyrian record that claims Ahab brought the strongest chariot force to the Battle of Karkar, again numbering 2,000 chariots. Scholar and modern horse professional Deborah O'Daniel Cantrell has argued for a modern misunderstanding of the archaeological evidence for horses and chariotry in ancient Israel, largely based off a misunderstanding of the needs and training regimes of horses. Her work points to the city of Megiddo as an exemplar of a chariot city, showing convincing evidence for horse stabling, including horse chewing marks on remaining feeding troughs as well as interpreting Israel's four and six chambered gates as chariot hitching stations. Chariot horses were a most feared weapon. They were trained to kill by trampling, and in the words of Cantrell, they were trained to be addicted to speed, which is what made them both a fearsome weapon and difficult to control in the heat of battle. Horses were also very difficult to kill, with spear, arrow, and sword wounds exciting them further and with their circulatory system allowing their drivers hours to get them back to camp to deal with what could have been deadly wounds. Horses' main weakness, on the other hand, is their stamina. Horses' exhaustion levels need to be strictly controlled by their drivers, otherwise they would work themselves to death. This meant that to battle successfully, a chariotry would need to have waves of chariots that would fight and retreat to camp for rest. Another weakness is the horses' startle reflex, which could send an excited warhorse on an uncontrolled, deadly flight. History seems to show that enemy armies were always trying new tactics to startle enemy horses while desensitizing their own horses to the same stimuli. There were parts of the warhorses apparel that did help with this. Horses wore blinders to limit their vision by up to 90%. And multiple bells were incorporated onto their gear. This could have multiple benefits, helping horses match each other's gaits, announcing their presence, and creating a comforting white noise for the horses. Whether we think of the heavenly horses that accompanied Elijah to heaven, the fearsome chariot driver, King Jehu, or the war horses of Revelation, it's clear that horses were tremendously important in the history of Israel. So there we go. Chariots and horses in the ancient world. Hopefully that helps give you a little bit of a background context to Zechariah chapter 6.
0: So if we consider the fact that riding a chariot wasn't a comfortable ride in terms of, you know, just going through the park on a, you know, on a carriage with a horse on it. This is really something.
1: It's intense. It was a
0: specially trained deal.
1: Yes, it it, it was intense, and so we see these that God's army, it, you know, is envisioned as extremely powerful and something that needs to be you know, looked at, like revered and respected, mm-hmm. you know, God's power needs to be revered and respected.
0: So, I mean, this is God's army. And so that whenever you see chariot, you're talking horses with adrenaline, you're talking a, a rough ride, you're talking, they're going.
1: Yeah. And, you're and talking, they're you're, going you're in. You're at major, major risk here. You're extremely vulnerable. Wow. And the strength.
3: Mm-hmm. The, That's the physical strength to be able to to ride yeah. and bite yep. while this
0: Boy, that's is incredible,
2: raging
3: forward. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty, Very good. pretty intense.
0: Ryan?
2: Okay, so my segment today is inspired from Zechariah chapter 8, which refers to God as the Lord of Hosts many, many times. As a matter of fact, Zechariah 8 uses this title so frequently that some scholars refer to it as the Lord of Hosts chapter. And this name of God is used in the Bible over 250 times. Clearly it's an important title, but what does it mean? Hi guys, it's Ryan Hembry here, and today I'm talking about one of the titles of God that's used an awful lot in the Bible, and that is the Lord of Hosts, or in Hebrew, Yahweh Saboth. The question is, what does it mean? Well, it's a really good question, so grab your Bibles and let's go. Alright, so in the Bible, God is called by a lot of different names and titles, each one revealing something about who he is. And one of these titles is the Lord of Hosts. As a matter of fact, this name of God is one of the more popular ones in the Bible, as it's used over 250 times. It first occurs in 1 Samuel 1.3, and it last occurs in James 1.4 and all but two of the 250-plus occurrences are in the Old Testament. And the majority of the Old Testament occurrences are found in the prophets, where they combine for a total of over 230 times. Jeremiah uses it most frequently at around 80 times, followed by Isaiah at 60, and then Zechariah at about 45. Though Zechariah comes in third overall here, his book does hold the record for most occurrences in a single chapter because this title is used 18 times in Zechariah chapter 8. That's why some scholars like to refer to it as the Lord of Hosts chapter. Now, when we look into the original language, we find that the compound Hebrew word behind this name is Yahweh Sabaoth. And Sabaoth shouldn't be confused with Sabbath. While they do look and sound similar in English, and while Jesus does refer to himself as the Lord of the Sabbath in the New Testament, in Hebrew these are two totally different words. While Sabbath refers to a time of rest, saboth means armies or hosts. And it's interesting to note that while most modern versions of the Bible translate this Hebrew word into English so that it's rendered Lord of hosts, the King James and New King James translations in two passages retain the Hebrew here so that it's rendered Lord of saboth. The first passage is Romans 9.29 and the second is James 5.4. Interestingly enough, these are also the only two places in the New Testament where God is called the Lord of Hosts or Lord of Saboth. Okay, so this is all fine and dandy, but as the old adage goes, what does it all mean? Well, since Saboth means armies or hosts, the title Lord of Saboth tells us that God is superior to any human or angelic slash demonic army, no matter its number. Many times the Lord led his people to victory over a superior military force. This title also tells us that God exercises control over all the hosts of heaven, which include the angels and demons, and even the heavenly bodies like the sun, moon, and stars. As the psalmist proclaims in Psalm 148, "'Praise ye him, all his hosts. "'Praise ye him, sun and moon. "'Praise him, all ye stars of light.'" In short, this title, Light King of Kings and Lord of Lords, indicates God's total dominion over all of creation, whether in heaven or on earth. So Lord of Hosts or Lord of Saboth refers to God's kingship over the entire universe. And as I mentioned in the video, there are other titles of God that make this point. And we really need to pay attention to the names and titles of God used in the Bible because each one reveals something about Him. And just a little fun fact about the title Lord of Saboth. Martin Luther actually used this particular name of God in his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God unfortunately i don't have time to read it to you right now but i do encourage you to look it up and in the meantime if you want to watch this video again then you can always go to my youtube channel which is just my name ryan Henry.
0: it's very interesting and this these titles of god for example the title the lord god the lord of armies or the lord of his army Mm -hmm. or the lord of hosts this is a these are titles and names that god is called and uh, we need to pay attention to that. A lot of people don't pay attention yeah. to it. They're reading it for their own feelings. But read the Bible so that it changes you. Mm-hmm. And when you begin to see these titles and understand that, you begin to realize, wait a minute, God is bigger than I ever even thought. Yeah, Absolutely. And that that's important to remember because God... You know, I mean, he's not just your little buddy in the corner. He's uh, he's huge. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. He, in fact, he <laughs> is very interesting. Corey, what do you do on the weekend? Sorry.
3: <laughs> no, all I was going to say was that that's why we've been doing this now. This is our thirty third year, and some people say thirty three times you read going through the, the Bible. Bible? This is not an ordinary book. This is the Word of God, and it is so multi dimensional, it is so multi layered that we are able to highlight and discover the Bible never changes, but our comprehension, Mm -hmm. our understanding of it. And then as we bring it together back and forth, when you start you know, maybe it's the second time through or the third time through, all of a sudden you think, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's a connection over here. And it becomes very, very exciting. Mm-hmm. You got
0: 30 seconds, Corey, well, before we ask the question. That. Go <laughs> ahead. We
3: can, we, can, we can work with it. <laughs> all right.
1: If you've fallen behind in your reading and you need to get caught back up, then check out my YouTube channel, Corey Bebechko. I do 10 minute recaps every week to get you caught back up on your reading so that you can keep going reading through the Bible in a year. Also, if you want to ask your questions and get them discussed by me and my husband, Matt Lock. Check out Bible Discoveries, The Weekend Show, also released every Friday
3: on my YouTube channel.
0: She did that in 33 See, seconds. There you go. She's good. I'm telling you. I'm watching <laughs> you know, the clock here. Anyway, go ahead.
3: The behind-the-scenes stuff right now is that what our viewers don't know is that it feels about 100 degrees in the studio right now. It's quite right now. warm. Mm-hmm. We cannot Top have the home. air conditioning on because it interrupts our microphones. <laughs> so you're just getting a little bit... Crabby okay. A little crabby. A little <laughs> testy. a little. Testy. Lord, it's help okay. <laughs> but it's okay. and that's why we're shining. Now, here's the question. Who was the father of the prophet Zechariah? Who was the prophet? Who was the father, sorry, of the prophet Zechariah? I'm trying to be dramatic and I messed up the question. Who was the father of the prophet Zechariah? Bior, Benjamin, or Berzekiah?
0: I've never said a word. Who
3: was the father of the prophet Zechariah? Bior, Benjamin, or
1: Barakiah? Hmm. All right. Oh my goodness. This is when I'm very happy that we have multiple choice because <laughs> I, I said it in my head. This is what I think it is. And I was waiting for you to say it ah, to yes. confirm. Mm-hmm.
0: Confirmed.
1: Confirmed.
0: And, and I concur. concur. You can- I concur. <laughs>
1: okay, okay. I think you, you answers- can, Wait,
0: wait. He confirmed on the concurring. Go ahead. Yes. I did.
1: You, we did it. We, we got it. it. Yes. We're losing it a
3: little. But answer three, Barakiah. Barakaya. Barakaya. That's All right. What I think. We're going to turn to Zechariah one one in 32 seconds. Here we go. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of? Barakaya. very, very good. It also lists the son of Ido, the prophet, saying, hmm. "I love how the Bible does that. It, it, it backs up, backs up through the generations, so that we know exactly who they're talking about. If you said Barakiah, you got the answer right. Congratulations!
0: Very good." I love this time we have together at the end of the program so that we can pray with each other. And this is important. Lord, we pray today for the people in my life who do not know you. We pray today, Lord, that all of our family, that all of our friends we know, and we're thinking about them right now in our minds, everybody we know, that they would find you, that you would remove any inhibitions that they would come to Jesus Christ, amen.